North Otago. It's rich in history and strong in character. And you have found the podcast that celebrates all that is good within our district. Join Gary and Damien every week as they either interview a legend or someone who is putting North Otago on the map yet again. North Otago legends, up-and-comers, and a bit of history. The name says it all. Well, hello again, and welcome back to a, another podcast interview with uh, someone who is going to take us back in time today. Yeah, we like that on the podcast, don't we? We like hearing a wee bit of history, and we like finding out what people have done in North Otago. It's, it's, it's good to hear, and it's good to keep those stories alive. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, last week's, um, or a couple of weeks ago, we had Derek Beveridge on, who was able to give us a lot of background to everything that he's done. And that was really interesting. So, yeah, looking forward to to talking today with uh, with Graham Clark, who has been very involved. Um, I need to specify which Graham Clark because there's been a, several over the time. But well, I uh, might better help you there because yeah. when you get real famous, you're known by one name. There's Madonna, well, right. there's Ronaldo, there's Beyonce. And so we just say Clarky, everyone yep. will know which one it is. Absolutely, he's honorary famous or North Otago famous. So welcome, Clarky. Thank you, Gary, Damien. Yeah, great to have you here today. And um, you know, you've you've been very involved in the heritage of the district, but also with a lot of events and so on. So looking forward to talking about those. But just to start things off, you know, were, were you actually born in North Otago? Uh, yes, I was born in North Otago. I was. Uh, my family had a farm at Totra. Um, I just had a bit of a check of our history. Uh, we. My great-grandfather came over here in 1878 and bought a farm at Mahino. And then my grandfather bought a farm at Totra, who then my father was on the same farm. And uh, so we've had a farming history mm. for many years. But really, when I was thinking about it, I'm only actually a second-generation Kiwi, even though we've been here a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Is that right? So where did your great-grandfather come out from? Uh, they came from the Orkney Islands. So, um, yep, very uh, up near the uh, Arctic. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you went to, obviously, Totra born school. here, you went to Totra School? I did go to Totra School. And the rumours are true, a lot of good people come out of Totra School. Can you confirm that? <laughs> oh, totally, yeah. <laughs> yeah, in, fact, yeah. In, in fact, Totra School um, had a large... Uh, population of, of Chinese yeah. and so I was I spent a lot of my early youth with a lot of Chinese kids yeah. went to all the Chinese birthday parties it was it's been a great um, experience yeah I had the same growing up and I also worked on the market gardens when I was young right through picking tomatoes for Reggie Joe and things like that yeah. so it was a very yeah they'd have some good parties down the Totra Hall like inclusive you know everyone turn up and bring some food and it was amazing. I've got yeah. some uh, terrible memories of picking Brussels sprouts in the wintertime. Oh, yeah. I think everyone has. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think picking up potatoes was uh, probably one of my least favourite jobs. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's never fun. Backbreaking. Yeah. yeah. Particularly when you're a bit taller than average. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's my excuse anyway. So after Totra School, that went to Form 2 back then, and you would have went on to Waitaki Boys or St Kevin's? Yeah, Waitaki Boys. Yeah. I was at Waitaki Boys three years and then I took up an apprenticeship at Alliance Textiles, um, you know, it's the Wallen Mills, now Summit Wall Spinners. Um, so I had a good four years at Waitaki, uh, at uh, Alliance Textiles and then went on, then I uh, went and did a job as an electrician in Timaru and then I went to Australia for about 10 years. I came back in 1990. Yeah, well, I think one of the things that you know a lot of people appreciate, um, you know, that may have grown up here, but it's really when they go away overseas and then they come back and they actually have a greater appreciation. Did you find that was your oh, case? Exactly, and and that's that's one of the reasons why I'm still here. Actually, I, I came back mainly because my father was sick and um, I was having a great old time on the Gold Coast and Sunshine Coast of Australia, but. I came back to Amaru when it was winter time, 1990, very cold. It was sort of a bit of a 
a bit of a depressing time here actually because it was the freezing works was sort of talk of it closing and there was everyone was trying to sell houses so it wasn't a pleasant time but I um, stayed on in Omaru because my father passed away uh, and I thought we'd better look after our mother um, but then I started well actually originally I got involved with um, the, uh, the Penguin Musicians Club so that started back in 1990 and I got a phone call to come and wire it up and that became our social outlet and then walking around the old part of town I suddenly realised that this is pretty cool so I got involved basically yeah. I've been there ever since. So that would have been just after the Civic Trust was set up was it? I think that yeah, was, the uh, Civic Trust had been formed in um, I think there was a feasibility study done in 1988 and then the trust was formed in 1989. Um, there was a group set up called the Victorian Town at Work, which was sort of an offshoot of the trust, which I uh, become involved with. Um, and we sort of were part of the opening up some of the doors of the place. Um, one great memory is of pulling the boards off the old Criterion Hotel because um, the Gillies Foundry used to owned the Criterion and it was just full of um, uh, the patterns that they used for moulding. Um, that was just full of stuff. The Trust uh, acquired that building and um, we turned it into a temporary bar. Mm. And uh, we had, um, uh, we just made a, a makeshift bar and got a temporary licence. So every Friday night from five till nine, we had a temporary licence I think we were running out of events because we were supposed to, in those days, it was probably a little bit loose. So you'd, as long as you had an event you were promoting, I think we were getting on to Queen Victoria's dog's birthday and things like that. <laughs> so, um, But it was great fun and that was the start of um, really the of someone coming along and looking at it as a commercial venture. And... <laughs> That's fan. That's a great bit of history about yeah. So it wasn't even had been boarded up. So if I just go back, so there was a group of like-minded people set up this trust or committee or community. So yep. what was the reason for it? Just to preserve the buildings, or was it more than that? Or did they have bigger plans and dreams back then? So why did they form the committee to? Um, and why did you get part become part of that? Um, well. Obviously, it was before I, I, I came back to Omaru. Like, I remember the Harbour Street, once again, as my, with my father as a kid driving down there when it was a working agricultural street. Yep. I can recall, you know, bags coming out of chutes and things of the Lone and Merck and... Hay bales and... Yeah, it, yeah. Was, a, it was a busy, busy street. Of course, um, with the way things happen with coastal shipping things changed, so the grain stores were no longer required and basically everything got boarded up um, and used for some storage, but the, the actual grain side of it uh, changed. Uh, it became to bulk grain, actually, and that's why the silos and things were put out around the, by the harbour. Um, so the, the need for uh, bagged grain wasn't required, um, so really back in the 70s, I think if the town had blossomed and gone ahead, we probably would have knocked them all down, all the buildings. Um, and I think there was a group of people, uh, I can mention a couple of names, was Rodney Grater, George Berry, Helen Steard, uh, David Wilson got together with council at the time to... Um, and Historic Places Trust of New Zealand to form a trust. And the reason for that was to was to get outside uh, funding uh, to start doing the buildings up. Well, I think we owe a great deal of thanks to those people because those buildings now, imagine if they had been knocked down and we, we would have lost that heritage, we would have lost what it's become down there. It's such a hub for North Otago and it's such a attraction for people to come visit and they film movies there and, you know, there's festivals on all the time and, and it's just a vibrant part of North Otago. So, yeah, those ones that have set up that trust and could foresee 
that um, th- that we could use those buildings. I think we, as North Otago, really need to thank them and say, well, kapai, well done. Mm, well, yeah, totally. From your vision, we now have this amazing um, landscape, streetscape. Yeah, um, well, the yeah, the, those trustees um, really, well, the, the formation of this whole trust and, and the historic precinct encouraged other people to come to town the likes of um, interesting, slightly eccentric people like like Michael O'Brien, the bookbinder, um, who bought a whole team of uh, relatives and things to Omaru, plus other artists like the likes of Donna Demente and John Mitchell and all sorts of interesting people started coming to Omaru, mainly because, well, really because of the historic precinct. And... And not only that, I mean, it, it suddenly became this sort of cultural centre of art, music with the Penguin Club, um, and um, what else, Gary? But it's good to see all those people, and when we have a lot of different flavours and a lot of different people, and that's what North Otago is about. It's not That area is not just for one purpose. It has so much um, diversity, and I think that's great. It's just seeing all those characters down there and different people, and it makes North Otago what it is. But a little bit more about the Penguin Club. You've had some great gigs through there. You've had some. Yeah, we have. I uh, yeah. Well, that was my my social life was at the Penguin Club. We we spent every weekend there. I then became part of the committee, and then I was uh, president for I don't know nine or ten years. Um, my wife was treasurer. We, it was a big part of our life. Um, and we've, you know, the Penguin Club, and it's still going strong after 32 years. Uh, and I take my hat off to the volunteers that keep it keep it running because it's it's a hard hard work. Um, obviously, with compliance things, with licensing and that, it's, it's quite awkward or difficult to, to keep it on the level. Um, but musically, it's actually gone back to... It originally started for a practice venue for for local bands, and that's what used to happen. And then a few outside bands became interested in performing there because it's actually got really good acoustics um, with the Omri Stone, and uh, and the word sort of spread. And so the who's who of New Zealand music and internationals um, came to the Penguin Club, and uh, and not only that, we promoted. Uh, School bands to play there, and and sometimes finance them to go to uh, battle with the bands and things like that. We had um, sound courses there, so we we got into sort of the education side of music. Um, what else? Well, I think that's been you know it's been a really good nursery, if you like, for for our music. Uh, our local music industry, if we can call it that. You know, we've got some really great musicians and so on, and quite a number of them will have performed there and, and may have, you know, had their starting, mm. uh, you know, starts to, to their musical um, careers. Yeah, well, it's actually it's actually gone back to the basics now. The, it's local bands are playing there mm. every jam night. There's a lineup to, to play, so it's it's gone back to it's the way it, the reason it started. Yeah. And did you perform there? As a committee, we used to have a committee band, which we'd have to um, do a number on the on the on stage for the homegrown, which was always a bit daunting. I'd practice for weeks on the bass guitar or something, and then still do it wrong on the night. <laughs> but it was all good fun. Um, yeah, the Penguin Club's are an important part of the precinct, actually. Along with um, the the galleries and the and plus we've got you know there's it's, the whole precinct there's a owner operated businesses right right through um, with you know everything from from bakeries to cafes to um, importers and exporters to um, galleries. Uh, One of the great. Ad- Recent additions, of course, is, is craft work, and um, you mentioned Michael O'Brien before as a bookbinder, but uh, becoming more known as a brewer. Definitely, yeah. definitely. Uh, Michael and Leanne Scotty have have opened up an amazing uh, brewery, um, and it's going to become a real focal point for 
the precinct. Mm. Obviously, we're very excited about the Criterion uh, opening again and it's getting a full remodel at the moment. We're putting in a full commercial kitchen. Um, actually, I probably didn't say that I'm now the chairman of the Whitestone Civic Trust and I have been uh, for about the last four years um, and I was vice chair before then. So I've had, I joined the, I became a trustee um, probably about 12 years ago or something like that um, and I've just sort of ended up in the top position. Yeah, one of the great things is, you know, you, you lead by example um, and, you know, pretty much anything that's happening around that area, we see you down there, you might be running cables or doing doing various jobs and so on, making sure things are, are happening in the background. So it, it, it's obviously very much a passion for you, making sure that the area is as vibrant and, and alive as possible. Yeah, um, oh, well, definitely. I, I, you know, the events, this will be, this year will be my... 31st Victorian fate that I've been involved with. We didn't have one last year, obviously, because of the, the COVID situation. Um, but also, I like being involved, you know, I've been involved with the wine and food festivals and the steampunk um, uh, festivals uh, that, that happen down there. But also around town, I, I try to um, help with things that, that are happening. I think anything that's happening in Omaru is... It's great. Mm. Um, yep. Yeah, no, and and you know you've certainly helped us. You know whether it's been the Friendly Bay Family Day or uh, New Year's Eve, um, you know just different things that have been happening along the way. That uh, you know it's it's really great that you just you know you'll drop everything and go and help, um, which is really appreciated. Yeah, so thank you. Yeah, thank you, Gary. Yeah, even New Year's Eve, it is my wedding anniversary every New Year's Eve. Well, we like to celebrate it with you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whether your wife wants to celebrate it with the half the Oh, she's there life. as well, yeah. 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 <laughs> so, no. Um, yeah, so, but you've, you've, you've had a lot of um, involvement in heritage generally. Uh, you know, you've got the family relationship with Clark's Mill, if we go you know, even further back than the uh, Harbour Street area. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, definitely um, Clark, well, my um, grandfather and my great-uncles bought Clark's Mill, well, it wasn't called Clark's Mill then, uh, back in 1902, I think, and, and ran the Clark brothers were contractors that had, had the mill, they had a stone quarry, traction engines for contracting, threshing mills. And, in fact, they, they their head office was, was just along Humber Street um, where the uh, long where placemakers is just opposite there. Um, there's a great photo of them all loading up a, um, a wagon and I recognise the building. So, yeah, no, I'm pretty uh, proud of uh, our family and uh, I feel like it's necessary for me to carry on. Um, Living in Omaru, it's really where we need to be. Mm. Yeah, no, it's certainly adding a lot to, to what we have and it's appreciated. Yeah. Just so in your time, so in that old part of town and, and you through there, have you uncovered any gems or any surprises? So you, you mentioned before how there was a building that was boarded up and you, you took it back. What have you uncovered or what have you discovered that was just sort of locked away or hidden away? Um, from the past that's probably been brought to life again? Well, I don't know about brought to life again, but I know one, one thing was the Criterion when we first went in there. Of course, the Criterion closed in 1905 when Prohibition yep. came to Omaru. So apparently, obviously, um, sly grogging and things carried on. So we there was a, used to be a cupboard with a false back Upstairs in one of the bedrooms, oh, that wow. apparently was was where all the grog was was kept. There was also the odd um, floorboard that could be picked up, and um, there was still the odd empty bottle in there. So that was always that's always interesting. But I think working, you know, even in the like to the loaner mercantile and stuff, um, you often will find signatures of builders or joiners or people that have worked there, and they'll be you know. 1880-something, or, you know, that's the interesting thing is seeing 
So I continue to do it. You know, Clarky the Sparky was here. Yeah. <laughs> Vandalism. No, oh, no, no. I think tradies have a right to do that. Oh, okay. It's all yeah. history. And, and you, can, no, you can put it in a bottle and leave it somewhere or you can write it on the back of a board and then, yeah. Oh, I just, yeah. funny enough, I just did that uh, yesterday in the Criterion just before we put the lining on the walls. I put all the, all the builders, plumbers, electricians, um, and the new leases names there and a date. Oh, wow. So someone will find it one day. Yeah. Cool. That's like its own little time capsule. I just love in 200 years they'll be opening up, renovating, and they'll, who's this Clarky the Sparky? And they'll have to research you and your name will be everywhere. They'll think you're the mayor, not yeah, Gary. Yeah, 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 he must be <laughs> the most important man in Omaru on North Day. Probably. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think he is. Probably is. Yeah. So if you were to have a guess, with all the committees and trusts and festivals, how many volunteer hours would you have in Penguin Club would you do? Um... Oh, well, that's um, I know the Penguin Club was was many many hours because you know we'd we'd deal with the with the visiting artists, we'd meet them, we'd put the posters up, we'd do the sound checks. Most of them would used to stay at home. We'd feed them. Yeah. Um, then I'd take them around the town in the morning, so I never got much work done actually. Yeah. Um, but yeah, oh, and I've put you know, there's hundreds and hundreds of hours. Yeah. But I, you know, I look at it that um, I don't have to do it. Oh. So it's not, you know, I do it because I enjoy it. And I guess it's a theme I know, Pascal, is just people getting on and getting it done. You're one of those ones. You see a need, something you can do, and you know it's going to benefit North Targo. You know it's going to last beyond you. So you, and so that's what we appreciate, and that's probably why you're on the podcast today, because you probably do a lot more than people realise. You know, people, oh, that's Clarky the Sparky. Oh, he's at another event. But what they don't know is you've been in behind the scenes on pretty much every event for the last... 30 years in the Harbour Street area that you've served, you've you've given of your time, you've given of your skills, you've, you know. So thank you very much for all of that. that I think that's that's pretty good, isn't it, Gary? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's just invaluable. And, you know, the volunteer effort that people put in and Clarkie's right up there. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So. The, um, just, just going back, you know, we, we talked briefly about Clark's Mill and, you know, when you see that operating, that's pretty incredible there, that mm. the old machinery working away, the, the, the timber um, structures and so on, the there. Um, but, the, you know, the whole precinct was, you know, it, it had water power um, to, to help machinery work and various things. So um, has that been, you know, a bit of a, a, I don't know, something you've learned from? Well, I've certainly learned about in recent times, which I, I must admit I, I didn't know a lot about it. Um, as you'll know, people like um, Bruce Comfort has certainly brought that, that out, it's a really important part of um, the history down there, the industrial heritage, um, and we would like to explore that a lot more. Um, I think people find that really interesting. Um, I remember once, actually, uh, years ago, we were about to have a a, um, a gig on the Saturday night at the Penguin Club. We had some musicians arriving, and I got a phone call to say there's, there's water bubbling up all around the Penguin Club from the ground, like lots of water. I went down there and it was just like this lake and it was just bubbling up just by the front doors. We got um, um, the contractors down, the Whitestone contracting down, and they shut the water off and we found this massive pipe that had had a big old cork basically uh, put in the, in the, the end of the pipe, which was part of the whole water power down there and it was like a 10-inch a, a pipe and it had eventually everything had rotted and it was just like this full um, pressure of water and it was just bubbling up through the ground. So that was pretty pretty interesting and it was a reminder of the water power that was down there. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, you know, and I think that's one of the great things about that area is it's got so many layers of history in there. So, you know, you've still got some of the machinery that was run by water power. You've got... Um, probably adaptations to that when it, electricity was there and so they put a motor onto it and mm, so on. Mm. So, yeah, and you know, keeping that that alive, keeping that that fear so other people could see it, it's really important. Oh, definitely. It's, it's, look, the, the historic precinct is, is an important, it's such an important part of Omaru and North Otago. Um, 
you know, the whole sort of steampunk movement that's happened is really because of the Victorian buildings. You know, the investment around the harbour with, with Scotts Brewing and the Mariner Suites and all the other improvements that are happening is, is all because of the heritage area around the precinct and, and also the Thames Street. Is, uh, and, you know, my hat's off to for Waitaki District Council because they own some of the most glorious heritage buildings in the town and, and are, you know, constantly upgrading them. So well done to them and the support we get from council as well. Yeah. And obviously you get quite a bit of funding, like you must have someone in your committee that is a real whiz at applying for funding? Or? Um, funding's always difficult. I mean, it, you know, I think in the early times, in the early 90s, there was there was a lot of money around um, from lotteries and things like that, but it's it gets particularly after the, I think, the turning point was the Christchurch earthquake. Yeah. And suddenly everyone wanted funding for heritage buildings, so it is, is always quite tricky, but... People like the uh, Community Trust of Otago and um, the Stout Trust and the Macmillan Trust, and there's some really good trusts that, that do support us a lot. Yeah. And I think you've got a good track record. People can actually come and see, like the Criterion, for example, they can come and see what you've done with their money and how it's now a functioning building and it's preserving history for the next 100, 200 years. Yeah. Oh, totally. Like all our buildings... Uh, pretty much earthquake strengthened. Uh, there's no building under 40% and some of them are up to 80% um, MBS standards. Um, so th- there's been a lot done that people don't see um, down there. There's, you know, they were all re-roofed um, many years ago, 25 years ago or more, um, and some of those roofs are starting to um, need to be repaired again. Yeah. Um, you know, we've there's 17 buildings. 16 of them are over 150 years old. Um, so it's an ongoing um, maintenance issue. So, is it is it the Whitestone Council or Waitaki District Council that owns those 17 buildings, or is it the trust that owns those buildings, or how does that work? The, the trust owns the buildings. The council uh, own the land under them. Yeah, so, so yeah, it's an old harbour board endowment, and um, so they owned the land and the, you know, they, they ran the harbour and they helped fund a lot of the work in the harbour by the rent they got off that land, which um, they had different merchants and so on built their buildings on. So, just a question to you, Gary. So, the council really um, values and sees the value of those buildings, and so, you know, the councillors in years to come. That will be an ongoing thing where they continue to see that value of what we have there. You believe? Oh, uh, yeah, I, I think so. I think it only gets more valuable because you know they don't they aren't making any you know hundred and sixty year old buildings anymore. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's when you see things like as Clarkie mentioned the Christchurch earthquake and the you know sort of the loss of so many heritage buildings, the fact that we are right up there at the at the the pinnacle of having such a great collection of yeah. Victorian heritage buildings, um, you know, it, it's, it makes it special. It's why the filmmakers come here and make their films. Um, it's, you know, it's just something where, you know, even people from Europe where they have, you know, many century year old buildings, um, they come here and they just marvel at our buildings and because, you know, it's such a uniform they're all made of Omaru stone. They, you know, they they just stand out as being very special. Yeah, I think it's it's claim to fame. It is the uh, largest collection of of uh, Victorian stone buildings in the Southern Hemisphere in one one place. I wow. Think. So yeah, and so it's special. All seventeen and, and have a clar- clarification, uh, like a historic trust. Well, the area. The whole area does. Yeah, the whole as area. As a general, but yeah. not individual buildings. Um, yeah, uh, the likes of the Criterion's Category 1 building. Yeah. Um, but the whole area is, is listed as a, I don't, it's a it's a special, called a historic area, which the main street are looking at. Is that correct, Gary? Yeah, it's, um, so, so we'll, yeah, it, we're in line for a national um heritage status as far as the um, Heritage New Zealand goes and so on, which will, you know, at the moment there's 
Waitangi uh, up in Northland, which yeah. has got the status, and if we get it uh, quite appropriately, Waitaki being the, the southern dialect um, yeah. of Waitangi, uh, yeah, we'd be the second one. So, yeah, we're looking forward to that. But I think, yeah, it's just really testament to a lot of people, and um, Clark is typical of those that have helped us keep the buildings. Yeah. Mm. yeah. I think um, the dis- uh, Waitaki District Council have also certainly recognised the heritage, um, you know, they've set up the Waitaki District Council Heritage Fund and um, they'll be putting um, $100,000 a year into that each year, which is which is great that, you know, anybody with a heritage building that has certain um, requirements can apply for that, which is, which is great for heritage. Like, it's not just about the precinct, it's about there's a lot of great heritage buildings around and out in the country areas as well, which is really important. You did right. Have we mapped all that? Do you guys know? Like, And then if someone wants to go on a heritage building tour, can we give them the map and say, here's this this building, this church, this whatever it is, and people could go? Like a heritage trail. It's, yeah. it's been done, but oh. pr- probably something that we should look at again and and sort of revise, I would say. Yeah. 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 Needs to be redone and, um, and you know, have, I mean, you, you, these days you can print a brochure, but equally you can have an app. And so, yeah. But, you know, we need to make those things more accessible to people. So many people would be so, that would come to here to see the, all the buildings, you know, and, and that would be a holiday for them as visiting every heritage building in the district. So, yeah. Mm. And you've got a wee bit of new heritage too. There's one building you own which stands out from the others because it's not quite so old. It's not quite so old. It's the building um, at the end. Of, it used to be the old Ministry of Transport um, testing station, actually. But it's actually it's one of the buildings that we have that's on freehold land, um, and it's got a you know it's a cycle it's um, cycle ventures it's called, uh, and the, which is which is a great. Um, extra to the precinct, um, very busy. Obviously, right in the perfect position for Alpster Ocean and, and um, events like that. Um, so it's it's uh, no, that's a good that's a good building. Yes. Yeah, yeah, no, it is. I just made the, the mention because you know, in its own right, it's it's got a particular styling from whenever it was built in the seventies or whatever. Mm. Um, concrete block and so on, and you know, it's it's just typical of that type of functional building that was yeah, done. totally. Well, that, that's the one thing that, you know, I remember we had a consultant here some years ago because we, you know, we look at sometimes at the harbour area and think, oh, that shouldn't be there or this shouldn't be there, like the buildings look a bit modern or something. But then it was always, I was always impressed by this lady that she said it's a layer of history, which which is something that, yeah, which is really good once you get your head around it. It's an important part, the likes of the rowing club and the, um, Yacht and Powerboat Club—they're all part of the 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 history of the of the harbour area, and and even as Gary mentioned, even actually uh, Scotts the Scotts uh, brewery is it used to be the old railway goods shed, and they had a, a, a style of their own, a 1970s um, style, and it's perfect. It looks like it was custom made for a brewery. Yeah. Yeah, that was certainly a bit of an ugly building for a while and there was debate about, you know, knock it down or, no, it's it's too good a building structurally to, mm. to do that. But they have they have managed to turn a, you know, a thousand year into a silk purse with that one. And totally. And if you think back what has been done, and, and I must, I've taken a lot of photos over the years and I must give them to council sometime, but, you know, what's happened where, where the old silos were and, the old overhead rail bridge, you know, that's a credit to the community and particularly to um, the next mayor, Alan McClay. Um, it was that was a great community. Sorry, did you say your favourite mayor? Sorry, no, I didn't. No, I didn't no, say no, that. I, I, I ex mayor. No. That's right. Yeah. So that's that's been another um, you know another bit of history that's happened, and it was it was great. Um, everyone pitched in, all the builders, and yeah, it was excellent. Yeah. No, good. Another good example of. Community volunteerism. Do you have much to do with the the train tracks going in and around there, or do you leave that? Well, to... I I did actually. <laughs> um, uh, well, actually, going right back to when I first came back to Amaru, I wondered why the old steam train was locked up, and uh, 
that something had happened and they couldn't, they weren't allowed to run it on the tracks. And it's quite interesting because a little small railway like that still has the same rules as a as a main trunk line. So I got involved with the, um, I went on the committee of the steam and rail and, and got involved and sort of worked through all the, all the um, issues they had to had to had to go through, you know, like some of the older chaps had had their medicals and all this sort of thing, and we just worked our way through it, and we managed to get the get inspections done and the train back on on track. And um, so, what was the question? Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, the railway lines. Uh, I've particularly at one stage, the railway line running right around to Holmes Wharf was going to be. It had been talked about being ripped up and that was going right through what is now the steampunk playground and stuff. But it's it's so important to keep those lines because it's 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 a part of the history and they don't do any harm by they may never be used, but but you can see what you know used what to, used yeah. to what used to happen. Yeah. I think before when you said it's another layer of history, I really really like that. That really sits with me. Um, yeah, it is another layer of our history. And, yeah, mm. the building doesn't have to be 140 years old in stone. It's actually it's how it's developed and grown along the way. And mm. so mm. that's really good. Yeah. Especially, you know, when it doesn't detract from yeah. you know, the older heritage. But, yeah. you know, the, you look at the railway lines and, you know, they, they do tell that story. You can see where that line curves through and goes through the roundabout um, and on to... Onto the wharf, um, you can see. Well, you can't see the lines that w- w- used to go onto Sumter Wharf, but when you know that that's yeah. what was there, you know why Sumter Wharf is curved the way it is. Ah, I'm glad you mentioned Sumter Wharf, Gary. <laughs> it's something that's that would be a, a dream of mine and and many others is to see um, perhaps not a full restoration of Sumter Wharf, but but perhaps a little bit of reconstruction. To stop it falling into the sea, and I'm sure that is part of the Harbour Area Committee's um, brief as well. You think, Gary? Yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely in the too hard basket um, we, with a lot of other projects above it. But um, yeah, I, I I just can't imagine what the harbour would be like without that wharf there. Totally. And so it needs to needs to you know have have that work done at some stage. Yes. Yeah, I agree. It would change the whole look of the harbour if that wasn't there. Yeah. And and the red sheds, the little yeah. red sheds, are such an important part of of the harbour as well, which which is part of the harbour plan to um, reconstruct and get them used. I guess. Yeah, another layer of history. Mm. Yeah. You, do you stay away from the breakwater, or do you have a wee bit to do with that as well? Well, the, hey, look, the breakwater is one of the most important structures in the in the, the whole area, really, because that actually saves. Saves the the precinct. Yeah. So the breakwater is something that's, um, you know, has has been uh, very important. Uh, if it wasn't there, we wouldn't have the precinct. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so and it's it's something that's going to be never ending, I guess. Um, but it's just one of those things we've got to we've got to pay for. So that's quite an interesting way of looking at it. Yeah. So if we don't invest in that breakwater and keep it there, then the precinct as we know it. Would you say it would be gone, would be washed away or be taken away? Or You'd, you'd have to do some other expensive work to protect the, yeah. the shoreline. Mm. So better, so better to keep it out there and have a safe harbour as well. Yeah, and that's part of it, the safe harbour. There's always people out there um, kayaking or rowing or yachting. Oh, so yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's fantastic. We're, yeah. we're so fortunate. Omaru is so fortunate when you go to other towns um, and compare. I mean, we've got everything Right here, yeah, um, and also the you know the farmland and you know, we've got a great district um, and and getting back to heritage, there's some wonderful you know heritage sheds and wall sheds and things around the area and, and great um, stone fences and things that are you know boundaries that are around the area that that I love to see. Mm. Yeah. They just don't build buildings like that anymore, though, do they, Clarky? Like you think what? How many man hours and what it took to build, like, the opera house, or, uh, you know? Oh, totally, and I often, it's funny you should say that, because often um, when I'm, I work in a lot of these buildings and I'm away down in the basement and I see the big foundation stones that have been put in, and I always 
wonder, you know, what were the the men usually obviously would be saying to each other, what they'd be talking about when they would when they were starting these these massive jobs. It, it's it's fascinating and the man hours involved. So a uh, foundation stone for say something the size of that, what would it be twelve, fifteen hundred wide? Or some of them would be nearly that. In fact, in in the council building, there's some massive stones in the uh, in the uh, basement. Um, yeah. Fascinating, yeah. and some of them have had um, uh, you know things scraped scraped into them, and uh, from early times, yeah. and then gone right through. I don't know if Gary Kirch's name's in there. Probably. No, who in the bell tower? He wants his name up high. It might be up in yeah. the bell tower. I can't <laughs> possibly comment. Yeah. Uh, you've you've worked on. Um, Lots of old buildings, but you've also you were involved in Dotsmith's Castle. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, that that was one that couldn't be built of solid stone because Onru Stone isn't got it's the right um, that, uh, accreditation. Can we talk about how crazy that, that is? <laughs> or should we just skip over that? Uh, well, we won't mention, you know. Building so, Control Act and, and, and Fletcher's and influence and so, so on. So building material that's been standing for 140, 160 years and hasn't shifted is not up to the code. Not is that what? Okay. Not, not, right, not, we'll not structurally. It's, yeah. It, yeah. It's actually got an interesting feature, though, like with um, uh, our, our engineer, um, Hadley and Robertson, have always talked about our stone buildings having a very high earthquake Rating because because of the width of the stone, and they and basically they sit on a mortar that's that's like a sand. It's like yeah. it's like millions of ball bearings, if you like, in a miniature thing. And if there is movement, they just they just move with the with the. Um, they absorb some of the the impact of, yeah. uh, of an earthquake, and I mean it should be a structural product. I think the cost and effort of putting it through when we've only got one quarry producing that stone. Well, it's just it's not feasible for them and they to, don't quarry to that. that size stone anymore. I'm guessing they're set up for veneers and you know. Features oh, I think they can quarry any size stone if, if you wanted it. Yeah, I'd make it for you. There was actually an interesting story, probably as an aside, but uh, there was a building getting uh, one of the theatres up in Auckland were getting remodelled or, or restored, and they needed it was Amaru stone, and they needed. Um, a particular the stone had to be the same colour and everything as what was there and they knew um, obviously when the place was built and out at Parkside they actually know from their, I don't know all the technical detail but from their stone face what year they took the stone from for the building in Auckland and they managed to somehow dig in that particular area, probably way up in the air somehow, uh, to get that particular pieces of stone that were exactly the same, which I thought was fascinating. Yeah. Um, um, I'm not sure which theatre it was. It's one of the big theatres and it's been restored in Auckland. Yeah. Um, but you mentioned the castle. The castle, Riverstone Castle, was a great, great job. Um, I think we were on it for about six years or something, on and off. Um, but wonderful people to work for. Um and you know they had a vision, and they saw it through. And we loved uh, myself and another electrician, Mark Dorsey. We worked on it, and we we were quite. It was one of those times when we could be quite creative as well, because often our our work you don't see. We can be all day putting a plug in a corner of a room, and people don't see what what we've actually had to do. But but something like the castle, we're very proud of. And you're working on uh, Windsor Park at the moment, are you? You're still I'm working that? on Windsor Park. He was coming to an end of that, and that's been a great job. I've loved, I love working in heritage buildings, I must say, and, and uh, Windsor Park has, has been a great great project. Um, I've worked at Burnside. I've worked at um, Tokaraki uh, Homestead. I've worked, actually, Totra Estate is a big part of, my work as well. I do a lot of work in the estate for um, Heritage New Zealand, but also uh, George and Carol Berry's place. I've done a lot of work there. And f- funny enough, our our farm was just along the road from from Totra, and I used to play in there with the, the family, the Ewing family that, that lived in the... We used to play in that big mansion. Um, yeah. 
and um, you know it had a lot to do with you know playing the old sheds and things, and never really knew the significance of it, and obviously climbed the hill, Totra up to the monument. And we yeah. and actually one of my jobs that I really enjoyed was um, with Sebastopol Hill. It's called uh, uh, the flag had been missing for many years, and. Um, because in 1907, there was a flag put up with a wooden pole yeah. and eventually that must have rotted and stuff and, and nothing happened until the centennial um, was 1982 and the Waitaki Electric Power Board at the time took it on board to light the monument up and uh, put a new flagpole up, so they put an aluminium flagpole up. But over the years, obviously... Like it's 15 metres, that yeah. flag, once you get up there, it's a long way. But the flag, obviously the rope had broken or something had happened and no one had ever put a flag back up. So it was when uh, one of the managers at Totra State, Scott Aleff, um, he and I got together and devised a plan to um, reinstate the um, flag and the rope and and uh, with the help of uh, local engineering, island engineering, we got up there and uh, obviously Network Waitaki, uh, they had a big four-wheel drive cherry picker and we managed to um, take the pole down and resurrect it and put new ropes and things in it. And One of my jobs these days is to go up there and change the flag. I always keep my eye on it. If it gets tatty, we can't have a tatty, tatty flags. Yeah. So that's right. uh, so that's that's I always enjoy driving past there. It's kind of like... Particularly at night, it's I kind of treat it like our One Tree Hill. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, exactly. it's a landmark. Yeah, and you've they can pocket You mentioned so. the lights. You you've been responsible for putting a lot of lights onto buildings and, and monuments yep. and so on around the district. Yeah, well, yourself and I, we've had a few projects, Gary. Um, you know, one that I've always uh, enjoy is the Anzac Morning, the Dawn Parade at the World War One Memorial. I've, I've always been very happy with the way our lighting works. Yeah. We put a lot of work into that to get it right, and the shadowing and that is always always perfect. And plus, we had to be careful, of course, with oncoming traffic. With so there was quite a quite a job to get it get it right. But it's one of those ones that um, I always enjoy. Yeah. 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 No, it certainly adds a lot at night time. You know, just to to see some of our. Special places lit up, so yeah, it's great. Blackie, it's those little touches, it's those little things, just getting the lighting right for things like that, and that's fantastic. And it's what makes North Otago great, it makes us um, proud to live here. And um, actually, so many people are moving here or enjoy our town, and it's just people like yourself who just get in and make sure the lighting's right, making sure the flag's not dented. And yeah, so thank you for doing those things and um, what you do for North Otago. The hundreds and hundreds of hours every year, probably thousands of hours volunteering and giving of your time and your service is just, it's, um, it's, it's just fantastic. It just it really makes a difference in this district. And um, yeah, we really appreciate everything you do. So thank you for that. Thank you. I've got a couple of questions to finish on, Gary. Is that right? You got any questions? I know. Best band that comes or best night at the Penguin Club. You can't and, remember. And, and drop a few names. <laughs> and drop a few names. Yeah. Well, funny enough, one of the best nights uh, that I can recall was um, the Mutton Birds had, had come back from England and were doing a tour, and they played at the were playing at the Omri Opera House. But I, I caught, someone said the mutton birds are walking down the historic precinct and um, they were filming, they were filming, I think TV1 were here filming them because it was quite a big deal, them coming back to New Zealand, and they were filming them walking through the precinct. Anyway, I shot down there and I spoke to their manager and I said, can you just come down the alleyway and I'll show you something? And I opened up the doors of the Penguin Club and so they all walked in there and they went, Wow. This is amazing because it's full of posters. You would have been yeah, in there. Yeah. Um, uh, and they said, um, the manager said to me, I said, well, we're going to be open after the concert if you're keen. Okay. So at the, at, the, at the show, at the opera house, at the end of the show, Don McGlashan said, well, we're all going around to the Penguin Club and everyone's welcome. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we, they got up on stage and played there with some of our local musicians and it was just a fantastic night and they just loved it. Yeah. 
And I always remember the next day I took them for a, a wander around the precinct and, and um, Don McGlasson said to me, he said, oh, I envy you, Clarky, of this place. Yeah. You know, so that that was pretty cool. That was one of my... That sounds like a great night. Because mm. every now and again you drive past, or used to be, and there'll be a queue out the door and around the corner and you're like, I'm not going to get in there tonight, so you go somewhere else or something. Mm. But, yeah, they were great all nights. And um, Sorry, the last question I have for you. If you had to choose one heritage building that was just special to you, that just ticked all the boxes and you thought, now that's a great building, which one would you choose? <laughs> um, well, there's oh, one. Um, look, the Lone and Merc has got to be one of my favourite buildings because it's it's a very unique building. It's, it's one of the few warehouses left that are, you know, um, still original. Yeah. Um, so that that's one of my favourites, and it's in good sound condition. And the other one, of course, is the Criterion, Criterion. Hotel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I thought you might have a soft spot for the Criterion Hotel. But it's a great building. Mm. Yeah, it's so, such a cornerstone to the whole precinct, really. Yeah, it definitely. Draws people in. And- so thank you very much, Clarky. Thanks for joining us, for giving your time. When I know you're very busy and probably should be somewhere else uh, mm. running some wires or, or hooking something up. So, yeah, thank you for coming in. Um, thank you for everything that you do. It is appreciated. And, uh, you know, you're making a difference. So well done. Thank you. Thank yeah, you, thank you Damien. Gary, I just enjoy these podcasts. It's just I'm learning so much. I don't know about you, but you probably know a lot of that history, but I'm just learning. And every time we interview someone like Clarky, I just learn something else about our history. And, yeah. Yeah, no, this, I mean, I, I pick up other bits and pieces too, you know, yeah. I know you quite a bit of that, but um, yeah. it's worth sharing, which I knew. Uh, but I've learned some new things too. Yeah. Um, and there's people like Clark who just keeps that ticking along, you know, and, and, and things are just working. He's the guy, if you want any um, knowledge about the historic part of town, he's just so full of knowledge. I'm, what he shared today has just been fantastic, but he's probably could write books and books on what he's seen and what he's done and what he knows and what's happened and his own little bits of research or finding out bits or talking to different ones. He's just, he's an intelligent man that just, he just keeping a bit of the history alive. Yeah, you're right. And, and you know, you get him involved in a project and he adds yeah. value to it. And one of, one of the things that he's very good at is, you know, if we're doing a bit of work somewhere, you know, whether it's at the gardens or the harbour area or whatever, and we're, yeah. we're needing to do some, run some cables, it's like, well, let's put an extra cable in there just for, you know, in case we need something in the future and make yeah. sure we've got some, the, some power supply we can easily hook up or, yeah. you know, let's just add this extra bit in here, yeah. um, you know, because when you do that at the time, it doesn't cost that much extra, but no. actually... In the future, it's, it's going to make a, a lot difference. of money. Yeah, as long as someone knows all these extra cables that Clarky's got hidden around everywhere, uh, hopefully he's got them mapped out. Yeah, hopefully, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but no, it's good stuff. Yep. All right, good to see you, Gary, and we'll catch you again next week. Cheers.